adoption. There are many reasons why an individual or a couple might consider adopting a child. For some, it might be infertility, health concerns, or to help a child in need. For others, it could be the lack of a partner or to go from stepmom to mom. But regardless of your motivation, adoption can be an amazing way to make your dreams of having a family come true. Early on, I was like, I want to adopt or I'd love to foster or do something like that. So it's always been on my heart. So fast forward than five years, we were, you know, figuring out how we wanted to move forward. And I, at first I felt like you had to, to do a, to adopt, you had to find out you were infertile. <laughs> and because that, that is some, typically the path a lot of families take. And, but I, you know, I was praying and I just felt like, why does that have to be the standard? And so we end up going forward with both tracks. We stopped trying, not trying <laughs> or whatever. And then we, we decided to ask a few friends about adoption and we went the private adoption first. We're also licensed foster care parents now, but we started with private adoption. Hi, I'm Sarah, host of the Juna Women podcast and founder of Juna. Our mission here at Juna is to help guide women like you through your trying to conceive pregnancy and motherhood journey. Today's episode is the 12th part of our family planning series, and we're talking all about adoption. To help with this topic, I sat down with Amy from Kansas. Amy is a mom of two adopted boys who are virtual twins and was pregnant with a third boy at the time that we recorded. Since much of this information is a personal account, I decided to include the full interview. So let's get into it. My name's Amy, and um, I live in Kansas, and we have two boys. They are, um, one's 18 months right now, as of yesterday, and then other one will be 18 months in two weeks. So they're two weeks apart in age, and uh, we Oof. adopt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they, they call us, uh, there's a term for this, which is so crazy. It's called virtual twins. Oh, and, and so apparently I'm not the only one. There's like a Facebook group of like hundreds of us that have ironically virtual twins. And oh, so wow. um, other people who have either biological kids or adopted kids and then take in a foster kid um, or adopt another kid and um, end up having two kids of the same age. And so that was our situation was we adopted our son, Barrett. We call him Bear for short. And then we foster our son. I can't say his name um, since he's still in foster care, but I'll call him Bubba for short <laughs> for, <good>. to, <laughs> for this, these purposes. So Bear and Bubba, you know, they're two, yeah, two weeks apart and 18 months in age. And then, yep, I'm pregnant. And so I'm 22 weeks along. And so we'll, we'll have an, another in the bunch, another boy in the bunch. <laughs> Uh, another boy oh man yeah yeah so three boys (laughs) that's incredible and so you're um the the boys will be how old when this baby is born 21 months okay that I think that's what my 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 son was 22 months when I had my daughter it's it's um I mean I you're kind of living it anyway with (laughs) with with essential twins but it's just like whoa I I when I when we did our family planning I probably should have like taken into consideration that having a three-year-old versus a two-year-old with a newborn is much more manageable. (laughs) 
yeah, you can I, leave them in the other room. And <laughs> yeah, especially early on, it is it is helpful having a bigger age gap. I think early on, but we always wanted kids close in age. Yeah, and so it does work out for us because I always wanted them to be close in age so they could grow up together and be more friends. And that's exactly yeah. At least that's the ideal. You know, it doesn't always play out that way, but yeah, uh. I mean, that that was literally the only thought we had when we were just like, let's just they, we want them all really close in age, and we want you know, it, but but um. It's like those little things you're like, ooh, I didn't take that into consideration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It um, would be nice if you were out of diapers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I guess start by telling me a little bit about your journey to adopt your first son, Bear, and and how that – like how you guys came to that decision as a family. Yeah. Well, we are kind of unique in that we also knew we always wanted to adopt. I had always had a heart – I remember – my husband, like our first year of marriage, like we were casually talking about kids. Kids weren't even on the picture yet. Mm -hmm. We got married very young. And so we wanted to wait um, a good five years before we even put kids on the horizon. But even early on, I was like, I want to adopt or I'd love to foster or do something like that. So it's always been on my heart. So fast forward than five years, we were, you know, figuring out how we wanted to move forward. And I, at first I felt like you had to, to do a to adopt, you had to find out you were infertile. Right, <laughs> and, right. Because <laughs> that, that is some, typically the path a lot of uh, families take. And, um, but I, you know, I was praying and I just felt like, why does that have to be the standard? And so we end up going forward with both tracks. We stopped trying, not trying <laughs> or right, whatever. Right. Um, and then we, we decided to ask a few friends about adoption and we went the private adoption first. We're also licensed foster care parents now, but we started with private adoption. And so we just reached out to some agencies and tried to figure out what agency we wanted to be a part of and go and connect with. And um, eventually we found one that we loved and um, were on their waiting list. And so we kind of went both tracks and and now, so I'm just going to interrupt you with a question. Yeah. So, so when you were choosing an adoption agency, like, uh, I guess, like, how did you, like, a, a, approach that research and how did you pick one that was a great fit for your family? Yeah. So we, um, in our town, we live in a small town in Kansas. Well, it's small. It's, uh, I mean, it's Manhattan, Kansas. I don't know if you've ever heard of K-State University, but that's where okay. where we live. And, um, and so it's a smaller town in Kansas. And uh, there's only there's really actually not an adoption agency in our town. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's um, a family planning um, resource center. And so they do facilitate some adoptions, but they're not an actual adoption agency. So we had to kind of do some broader research for cities um, nearby and like Topeka and Kansas City. Okay. Um, and so we just, uh, we did some Googling. We did a lot of friend asking, honestly, just word of mouth was a big one. Um, and we finally had heard from a friend about this one adoption agency in Kansas City. They were smaller, which we liked. And so there was less um, people that we would, it would felt more personal because it was smaller. And, Got it. Um, and then the other thing we've uh, looked for was how many adoptions they do a year and how many were actually on their active waiting list. And so the ones, some of the ones that we had talked to had massive active waiting lists. So many families that were looking to adopt. Um, and even though they did maybe more adoptions a year, the ratio right. was, um, 
just it would have put you it could have put you in getting adopted quickly but it also could have put you waiting for years before you got a call or a match and so we liked this agency because it was small they did didn't do a ton but they also didn't have a ton on their active waiting list so um so the ratio was a lot better of like chances of getting called and then we just like the personal touch of just being some a smaller company right and having a better connection with our, a specific social worker that we would work with throughout the entire process. Um, and then they, we just really enjoyed how they um, handled their birth moms. Like we felt like they were very supportive for birth moms from the beginning when they got met the birth moms to even after they gave birth, they did a lot of counseling sessions and coaching um, and prepping the birth mom. before. Yeah. The birth Adam. mom. And so we really liked how they handled that and they it seemed like they coached birth moms a lot on what they were going to experience of of giving up your child and and and, and choosing an adoption plan you know versus you know it's not giving up it's choosing an adoption plan there's a choice that they have and it just really empowered them but then also worked them through the grief that they were preparing them for the grief that they would have no matter what, <laughs> you know, right, like no matter right. what their situation is and why they're making this plan, um, it, there's still going to be grief involved. And we felt like they did a really good job supporting them before and after the birth of what that looked like. And so we, and it showed in their matches, their matches were very successful. They had very few matches that fell through. Um, and I think that's due to their coaching and counseling of the birth moms on their side. And, and so, when you say fell through, like that, would that be on the birth mom side or on the family side? Typically on the birth mom side. It. Um, it's the birth mom picked a family, there's a match, the, and then um, sometime in either the situation of giving birth or after birth, mom decides not to go Give through with, okay. yeah, not to go through with the adoption. And so um, their successes were very high. I think they only had one failed match, which is almost unprecedented, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And so we're like, okay, they have a lot of successes. That was really encouraging for us. Not that, you know, we couldn't handle this appointment, but it's obviously something you don't want to. Right. You've gotten all the way there. Right. Yeah. And so we were really, um, really enjoyed them. Now, when you were making, I'm curious, excuse my ignorance on language or terminology, yep. but um, I'm, I'm wondering if as you were exploring adoption agencies, if like uh, maybe open or closed, like were, was like, are, is it different depending on the birth mom? Like when I say open and closed, like your birth mom will, like your child can look up who their birth mom is and can get in touch mm-hmm. or like some, what is the terminology? Is it? Yeah. Uh, open adoption and closed adoption okay, are the terms. Okay. And um, yeah, most, mm-hmm. especially if you go through private adoption, like we did, um, they highly encourage open adoption. Open. Okay. It's extremely healthy, even if it's you know, and they, they kind of have terms also like semi-open, you know, like you may not see them in person all the time, uh, depending on distance and ability and health of the birth parents mm-hmm. um, and safety levels, you know, things like that, you know, come into play as well. But in general, they always encourage an open adoption of some sort. So uh, depending on the uh, the adoptive families level of comfort. Um, you can either exchange phone numbers to setting up a private email account that 
has no link to like we set up a, a Logan and Amy family at Gmail. So didn't use our last names and um, to initially get in contact with the birth mother that we were matched with and started conversation that way. And once we got to know her and felt more comfortable and eventually, of course, met her in person, we exchanged phone numbers and now we text each other and we're good friends. Got it. <laughs> so, okay. um, but it depends on, yeah, the totally depends on the birth mom, but you can, most people should expect, I think, going into a private adoption to have a relationship with the birth mom of some sort. And oftentimes it is like to see them at least once a year in person. And sometimes it depends on the birth moms, again, level of, you know, level of comfort and desire, mm-hmm. but they highly encourage it if you can manage it. Just it's healthy for the kids. It's healthy for the birth parents as they grieve. And so it's it's definitely something you want to go in expecting or have open in your heart to do as you move into that. Okay. So you find an agency and you, I guess, like, so walk me through the process of like, of finding your agency and then matching with, with your um, birth mom. Yeah. So I can't speak for, uh, so each, uh, each state I know handles adoptions and uh, differently. Mm -hmm. And so how Kansas operates is even different than how Missouri operates, which we were in Kansas City. So our adoption could have been either Missouri side or Kansas side. So we had to right. kind of prepare ourselves for whichever side we ended up on <laughs> and end up being Kansas side for us. But our agency respects both uh, rules, I guess. And so when you get matched, um, that can be at any time. Our agency waits until the third trimester to do the matching, uh, just so that way mom is further along. She, they've done more counseling. She's more sure. Some mm-hmm. agencies don't do that. Um, and so if they don't do that, you might have a lot of, you might have a full eight months to right. to know that you're getting, potentially getting a baby. Um, for us though, a, a mom came in and was very far along. And so we only had three weeks before baby was born before Bear was born. And so we got a call for the match. And what our agency does, and I think what most agencies do is that when we get a call saying there's a mom, we get a a profile of that mom, any risks that may have been involved. Um, You know, if she did drugs while being pregnant, you know, yada, yada, yada. Right. We get it like all of that, as well as like if she knows she, we knew she was having a boy and things like that. Because there's some families that go in really looking for a girl or really looking for a boy. Right. And so uh, that didn't matter to us. But um, you you look through that. And then once you agree to that, like, yes, I we consent, they will show then show you and probably two or three other families to that birth mom. And then that birth mom then will pick between three or four other families. And you have like a full profile that you've set up that kind of tells the birth mom the story of you and your partner. Yep. Yep. So you put together a profile book. It's just a fancy shutterfly or, you know, Mm -hmm. chat book or whatever. They typically, the agency has some specific requirements of size and they will typically, ours at least coached us through it of like things they wanted us to, to address because they want, birth moms want to just know that you're going to take care of their son, their, Mm -hmm. their, their daughter or son and, and what you what your family's like. They want to right. see if it's a fit, you know, and they can see their son in your family. And so you talk about in that profile book, 
you know, anything from just activities you do as a family together to hopes and dreams for you have for the child um, to um, family. You talk about your extended family a little bit, obviously within um, healthy right, boundaries. Uh, boundaries and stuff, but, um, but yeah, you get to, you know, you get to share your life a little bit. And, um, so they showed that to the birth mom, they showed that. And then normally three other families, which is, I really love that they give these birth moms, every agency gives these birth moms choices. Cause mm-hmm. oftentimes they're coming to them and have not had good choices in their past. And right. so I love how empowering it is for, these women or parents, sometimes parents, you know, sometimes there, there's yeah. a couple involved. Um, a dad stays involved, but, um, either way, like they're empowering them, they're giving them a choice, a healthy choice. And, um, and so they typically pick through that. And then once they pick, they call a, call the family called us, for instance, in, in our situation and said, we have a match. And so that's called like a match. And, from there, you wait for however long you have, whether it's eight months or for us, it was three weeks. I've heard of some people who have stork drops, which is mom gives birth in the hospital oh. and and they have one day, they have less than a day's notice. <laughs> um, so every situation can be different, but for us, it was three weeks. And then, um, and they, there's so a lot of paperwork involved. How long, how long did it take from when your profile was finished to getting that that notice that you were going to have a baby in three weeks? I think the entire process for us was a year. Okay. And, and which is actually kind of fast. Yes, From yes. what we've heard from a lot of other friends who have gone down the adoption road through the private adoption road, it typically takes two to three years is kind of what we've heard. But for some reason, it, we just, yeah, got lucky or yeah. <laughs> God's timing or whatever. We, we It was very uh, – unexpected. We were got the call after a year. And we were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> awesome. So we, yeah. Yeah. So we were very excited. And um, yeah, there, there's always sometimes finances involved. A private adoption is very expensive. Um, and so for us, we, uh, we had to raise money. And so we had three weeks to raise the large sum of money. <laughs> right. Um, in that time. And, but luckily family and friends and our community supported us beyond what we could have fathom and the money was raised. And, um, oh, and that's so, incredible. And so yeah. why are private adoptions so expensive? Like what are the costs that you, is it like part of the medical expenses or, or like, yeah, just give me an idea of, of where yeah. these costs are coming from. Big one is lawyers. You okay. have to pay oh, lawyers yeah. <laughs> to – you have to pay for your lawyer because there's a lawyer who's representing your family in the adoption. And then you have to pay for the birth mom because the birth mom and birth dad will have a lawyer, their own lawyer, to, okay. their own lawyer or a one lawyer will represent both if the dad is known or not known sometimes. Um, but, yeah, and so they they will deal with all of the legal requirements, the site – the uh, the signing of releasing their uh, rights to the child. They will deal with um, all the court costs and court fees that go into it. So that's what lawyers are doing. The social workers are the other big half of that chunk of money is that the so- you have a social worker who's with your family, representing, again, your family and coaching you through the adoption process. And then you normally have a social worker who is on the 
birth side, the biological family side, and helping that mom or those parents through that process. And that's a very time intensive, you know, coaching, counseling, um, working with them as well. And so that's just a lot of hours that you're Mm -hmm. paying to support somebody's, you know, the social worker's income. (laughs) And so, um, so yeah, that's, that's where most of the money, you know, some of it goes to, yeah, court fees. And uh, like you said, medical costs are a big one if they are not under Medicare. A lot of them are. And a lot of agencies should hopefully work with the mom to get them covered if they're not. Um, So hopefully there's not a ton of medical fees, but with any, uh, you know, birth, Mm -hmm. any hospitalization, there's, there's, of course, going to be some fees that you you will cover for the mom. And then there's clothes and sometimes housing arrangements or gas cards, things that you're doing to support the birth mom now. So that way she is going to have the most healthy and um, healthy baby for you (laughs) and for, for the baby's sake. So, so you're providing, yeah, gas cards so they can get to work or, you know, grocery costs so they can get a healthy, you know, diet going. And so depending on where they're at. And so there's a lot of that that goes into it. I, one of the things we loved about our specific agency was that they did work a lot with the birth parents on finding community support so that it once they gave birth, they weren't relying on us solely to be surviving. So they found ways to get the, either get them a job or set up a job for once baby was born, after baby was born, or they sought community help and got them bus passes, signed them up for medical, you know, insurance and all of that and worked with them on that. So there was less support from us that they were relying on. Right. So that way it was long-term healthy situation. And so that was nice for us because then it made us less for us specifically. It made um, less of a financial burden. Yeah. And so it was a win-win. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, sense. but yeah, but the biggest, most chunk of those mon- of the money always goes to lawyers and social workers. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co. And when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. Yeah. 
you you get the news at three weeks that you're you're you have a match. So you have the next three weeks to essentially prepare your life, your house, your <laughs> your families, yeah. raise the money, and then you go to the hospital. Like I guess, like you just get word that she's in labor, or I guess, and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, walk me through that. <laughs> yeah, you at that point it's a waiting game of when she goes into labor and you um get the call. Some moms they try to talk to the moms and birth uh, the adoptive parents beforehand to kind of figure out a labor plan for right. what they want. Our adopt our birth mom did not want us in the labor room. We had just mm-hmm. met her, which so totally right. made sense. <laughs> some, <laughs> yes. Yes. some birth parents are like, whatever, I want them there. And um, they've been, they've had months to form a relationship. And so right. they have, have more time for us. She wanted to obviously wait and she wanted to get into recovery. So we found out she was in labor. We're a couple hours from Kansas City. So we we went to Kansas City immediately. And then we literally sat at a Chipotle <laughs> while our, our son was born. <laughs> because <laughs> we didn't know what else to do <laughs> yeah so so it, it was very anticlimactic honestly <laughs> um but we waited and once she got into recovery we we got to go in and meet meet mom we had actually not met mom in person yet and then meet our son and uh yeah that was obviously the most amazing experience and yeah we're all crying and it was it was wonderful and and so you're because I mean, you know I think about like a typical labor and delivery experience. Like your mom is in the hospital for two or three days or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Did you did you like when does the handoff take place? And like when did you go home with Bear? So that is up to every state. Okay. Uh, Kansas has a 24 hour policy from the time they give birth to the time they can sign their relinquish relinquish their rights. And Missouri, I know it's 48 hours. And so our agency holds up to the 48 hours, which works out actually really nicely because that's when moms are being discharged anyways. And once they relinquish their rights, the baby's not allowed to stay in their room. Okay. At least according to our hospital standards, that was the case. And so, um, so we had to wait two days before she could sign any agreement. Okay. And God, that, that was a, been the longest two days of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Cause you just don't know. You don't, you no. know, once they meet the baby, you know, sometimes their feelings change. And yeah. Uh, so we, yeah, we just had to sit and wait and pray. We went and talked with her every day. We visited her every multiple times during the day. We brought her lunch and brought her ice cream because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we wanted to also get to know her. And right, so, right. Uh, so yeah, but it was a long two days, but then at the end of the two days when she is getting discharged, she, she signed the agreement and uh and so it just depends i know like some states i've heard are even longer like even after so you will take the baby home sometimes but the mom still hasn't won't relinquished. Have, uh, yeah hasn't relinquished her rights yet and so um oh so yeah so i've heard some horror stories of course of how that's gone so terribly sad that yeah. mom they adoptive family takes the baby home and then mom changes her mind. And so uh, luckily that's not how it ran for us. Um, And so it's just different per state. So you have to find out what your state's rules are. Rules are. Yeah. So you go home with Bear and it was around five months that you then got your, your foster kid Bubba. 
Yeah, right? we got yeah we got actually it was eight months. So we eight had, months. Okay. So we had Bear for eight months, and uh, which we had been foster parents for almost a year. Had you fostered kids before? We had done what you were just parents, like you were. We were just, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, you. We were. We we were licensed foster parents. We had never taken in a long term placement. We had done what's okay. called respite, and uh, which is where you watch other people who have foster care kids, other foster care parents. You watch their kids for a week or two weeks or forever how long they need a break. Um, and so that it's a it's really nice respite is highly needed <laughs> um, okay. but it, it is it's a, it's a little bit easier cuz you're watching normally friends or people in the community's kids it, okay. who have already been in foster care for a little while um so we had done a few of that so it was nice cuz for us the 3 weeks notice wasn't as stressful because we already had a crib we already had a changing table because we had been watching right. friends kids for a few months already. And so, um, so we, we took a break though from fostering for sure for a few months until to get our feet wet in with, uh, with Barrett. And then, yeah, after, uh, nine months we, we got, or eight months we got, um, Bubba. And so, uh, that was, yeah. yeah, So did you like, uh, this, did you like, you basically like turned your foster parent, like light back on and you're like, okay, we're available. And you get notified that a child who is the same exact age for all intents and purposes as your son yes. needed yes. a home. And and at that point, was it a long term or was it just short term or did that matter? Yeah. So we had turned technically the green light on for what's called PPC, Police Protective Custody. Okay. And so that's very short term. It's when kids are taken straight out of the home from in police custody. They're not even officially... Uh, deemed needed care. And so you get them straight from wherever situation they've been in um, and you take them until court happens. And then at, which is typically three to five days and at court, then they either look at the situation and say, okay, mom cleaned up the apartment or did whatever she was supposed to do. He can go back or they deem no mom and dad still have a lot of work to do he needs care. And so then they deem him in foster care and then he can go, he goes into placement. Okay. We, we decided after taking him for those days to go ahead and keep him. He was very, uh, without giving too much away, we, Mm -hmm. we, he was very sick. And so we had to be hospitalized with him for a little while, uh, for three days. And so after being three days in the hospital with him, we were like, we're, you're not going anywhere, but yeah, we're, we're protected. This is, you're with us. Yes. Yeah. So, so we're, we were, we were stuck already. So we're in, in obviously hopelessly in love. And so we're mm-hmm. like, okay, we'll, we'll make this work. And so, um, so yeah, so it was at first the three, we had three hours notice to get him and it went for three days. And then after three days, we decided to keep him long-term until either so whatever happens. <laughs> Got it. And and so when you – like now, like he's been with you for eight months, almost as long. Like, you know, obviously he was not with you for eight months and now he's been with you for eight months. Yeah. Um, as you – like throughout the last eight months, have you had to make appearances w- with his with his birth parents? Like what, what does that process look like? And then I know that you said that you have not formally adopted him yet. Like what does that future look like? And yeah. yeah. Great questions. Um, so when you take a kid into long-term care, the 
first goal is always reintegration. So if mom, if they are going to work with every kid and in Bubba's case, uh, work with mom and dad, mom and dad are not together. They're individually trying to um, earn their rights back to him. Mm -hmm. And so at this point for him, in most cases, it's the social agency setting up a plan called a case plan and setting up steps for those parents to take, uh, like parenting classes, um, have appropriate housing, uh, jobs, income statements, things like that, that mm -hmm. help them show that they are responsible and are capable, have changed their ways or done whatever they need to do to show that they are going to be responsible parents to their son. Okay. And so that's kind of where we've been at for nine months is waiting to see how mom and dad progress. We uh, definitely, our hearts have always been for birth and bio families, whether mm -hmm. foster or, you know, through foster or adoptive private adoption. And so we definitely have more of a desire to get to know them than most, I think. You do not have to. If you do fostering, you do not have to interact with the birth parents hardly at all. The social mm -hmm. agency should be doing a lot of that. But we desired to. And so we when, when we would go to court, we would see them and we would try to talk to them and get to know them. And uh, especially now, this is a unique situation with COVID. Right. Um, it has put all visits virtual. So it actually has put us um, in much more contact with the parents than um, foster parents and birth parents, much more contact than they've ever had to. Because normally uh, visits, depending on the level of safety, they're either at the social agency's office or they're um, supervised typically. And so the agency comes and picks the child up for the visit and then takes them to the parents, whether it's at the agency or at the parents' home, and then brings them back. So, um, so you have very typically little interaction, but now the visits are over the phone. And so yeah. <laughs> with a one-year-old, there's only so much interaction <laughs> that right, a one-year-old right, right. will do, but they have to have, they have to be for a certain amount of time. And so for us, it's about 20 minutes with mom and then 20 minutes with dad. Uh, and so we have 20 minutes once a right. week <laughs> getting to know them. And so it's been actually a really amazing experience for us. I don't, think it has been for everyone, for every foster parent, um, right. our, but we have gotten to know his birth parents very well now and have started to develop a relationship. And so, um, so that's been really a positive experience from it. And it is, so it's, it, you know, like it's, is it typical that there, I mean, it doesn't sound like it with your situation, but it must be really hard for birth parents who have had to relinquish I mean, I guess not. Haven't relinquished total rights, but like they're the temporary. No, yeah, the temporary responsibility of their children to someone else. Like there must be some resentment, or like it did it start there, and somehow you you guys have been able to cultivate a relationship where it's it's much more positive. Or I guess like what? Is, how has that like kind of evolved since the beginning? Yeah, luckily for us, they it didn't seem to have tons. We didn't perceive a lot of. Uh, resentment from them mm -hmm. but I think like anybody that they, they don't know us we're and and they purposely aren't given a ton of information right. about us um and so we wanted to make sure like from their perspective some they know their care kids are being taken care of but they're by taking care of by strangers and they don't know 
anything. Unlike, you know, the private adoption, you know, they get a profile, they get a book about right. your family. That doesn't happen in the foster care side. So there you are strangers to them. And so we definitely wanted to introduce ourselves and try to uh, start with just what Bubba's been doing, like what we've been doing with Bubba. We go on walks with Bubba. We put, we, you know, we took him to the park the other day and he's swaying, uh, you know, for hours and loved it, you know, and mm-hmm. we, we have a son his same age and, you know, Bear and Bubba are just best friends and they just crawl around everywhere together. You know, things right. that any parent would want to hear about their kid. So we've started with that of building that, like, here's what he's been doing this week. Here's what we've noticed. Here are the milestones he hit. And um, he had a doctor's appointment and he grew, you know, this right. much on the percentile. And so things like that, that, you know, they just want to hear that he's happy and healthy. And so we always try to encourage that with them and, and then answer questions, say like, do you have any questions or want to know anything about him or, you know, and so, you know, they'll ask like what his favorite food is. They don't know that anymore. Right. Right. And so we get to tell him like, Oh, he loves sausage. (laughs) He (laughs) eats that stuff up like crazy. You know, it's just things like that, that, you know, help build that relationship. Now, like, are you, are you terrified of the day? Like, it's like you, like you want, you obviously want his, his birth parents, him to be with his birth parents, right? Like that, that's obviously, I mean, that must be just such the internal struggle that you must have with it, with the unknown of, of what could transpire. Cause at the end of the day, like you don't want to wish or not wish one way or the other. Yeah, it is. You hit it on the nail. Like it's, it is weird, like, because you definitely want to be for mom and dad. Like, that's, you know, who wouldn't, you know, right. like, kids yeah. should be, like, ideally, kids should be with their birth parents. Yeah. Um, and so we definitely want that. We, you know, that the system so far, we've been really encouraged by, you know, like, they they have very good steps that the parents have to take. And if a parent is capable of doing those, we know that he's going to go to a home that will start taking care of him again, mm-hmm. um, the way he, he needs. And so, uh, there's a lot of hope, I think for us in that, if that, if mom and dad, one or other, both do accomplish those steps, we know. And then now, especially that we've built this relationship, the transition we know will be either, even easier for him. Uh, so we, we definitely obviously want that, but yeah, it'd be crazy. We've had, our son now knows, having a twin brother much longer than he knows not. Right. And so, you know, our hearts would definitely be sad or grieved over it, but we trust that, you know, we trust in God that either way, whatever happens, you know, that, you know, at least Bubba's being taken care of. And that's the most important thing. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and so, and if it ends up being us, if, you know, mom and dad, you know, again, so with the adoption side of things to, for Bubba to stay with us forever, um, either two things have to happen with mom and dad's rights are looking to be terminated by the court. We can approach mom and dad and see if they want to relinquish their rights instead and let us adopt. So that's the most ideal situation. Cause then it's like private adoption. There's this right. great relationship being built. It's very much empowering the parents, but some parents, birth parents are like, no, I'm going to fight tooth and nail. Tooth and, and, nail. If, right. and, and if it's not going to be me, then I want my sister or I want my aunt. Um, whoever. And so that is where once if rights are terminated by the court, then he goes into the adoption 
court case side and then us and then any other family member or a friend who knows of him and would like to adopt him. Basically, we all go into a pool (laughs) to try to adopt him and they put together what's called best interest staffing. And that's uh, social workers, lawyers, county attorneys, typically, uh, sometimes uh, district, the D, uh, DFC is involved. Um, District of Family and Children, I think is okay. the term. Um, anyways, they there's a different people involved in the staffing, uh, and they meet and basically look at everyone who's applied to adopt and has done a home study, and they will look at what they think is the best interest of the child. And so sometimes that means they will go to aunt. Susie later, and then sometimes they will pick the adoption, the foster family. It it just depends on what they've deemed is best for the child, and Got so, it. um, so yeah. So there's a so it's a there's a lot of <laughs> to adopt out of the foster system. Is there's a lot more steps and a lot less, a lot more unknowns, like you were saying. And so, um, we just have to have open hands and you know love them. We obviously are going to love them like he's ours. Until right. whatever happens and, you know, know that the system is doing its best to give the best for him. And so it doesn't always, the system is sometimes broken, just like any, yeah. <laughs> anything. And so, uh, you know, you definitely want to be a part of it and be involved and ask questions and do what you can. Um, and, and then at the end of the day, I want to trust that our system will have the best interest of our kids and, uh, and, and hope that that's what happens. And I think it will. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I think it's a little, it's encouraging for me to hear that you've had a very good experience with the foster system. Cause I, I feel like that isn't always the case. Um, and so it's nice to know that in like that there are instances in which, uh, you, like the best interest for the kid is always at, at the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, again, it's, it's sad because there are, there are not that, that doesn't always happen. We have had friends who have had sad stories. Uh, They went through best interest staffing and they they weren't picked and they went to a family member that they felt like, you know, would not do well um, having a child or was maybe wanting a paycheck because there is some, it's not a ton of money. I honestly don't know why anybody would foster for a paycheck. Right. (laughs) It's it's definitely not, not much. It's more, they call it a, um, Oh, uh, reimbursement for a reason. It's it's not it's right. not income. It's right. not labeled as income. And so, uh, so but there even after you adopt out of the foster care system, they sometimes you do sometimes uh, get money provided by the state for a little while. And so I think there are some people who move forward for adoption for nefarious reasons, which is of course heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've seen some sad cases happen of just. And, and bio parent or family is typically always valued over a foster family, even if the mm-hmm. foster family has been family to that child for right. most of that child's life, they will pick biological family oftentimes over the foster family, um, just based off of what they feel like has shown there, there has to be a reason behind it. I'm not sure, honestly, right. a lot of the case, if there's much case studies to prove that that's been best, but um, family is always um, the number one goal, and so to, if they're safe and 
there's safe and there's risk. (laughs) And so that's kind of what you see a lot with foster care systems, you know, is they're still really risky. The parent, even if kids go back to the bio parents, that might still be a risky situation, but they've still deemed it safe, if that makes sense. And so that's what's, I think, really hard for foster families to see and process is like, well, we have no risk (laughs) in our brain. And so, um, and so that's, that's a, a hard line to, you know, process in your brain, I think, to understand. Well, it's, yeah, it's also, you know, you're like, there's, I mean, if I were a foster family, I'd be looking at this, like, there's, I'm, I'm zero risk. And the life that I would provide is, is not the bare minimum, which is safe, right? Like, it's exactly it. (laughs) Um, What am I missing here? (laughs) If the criteria is safe, which by the way, is like, you know, when I think about, and you're, you, you have two 18 months old with months old, which is, I feel like when it starts to get at least with both of my kids, like that was when they got um, challenging. (laughs) It's just like the like tantrums kind of start and like my daughter's almost two and it's like, it's just like the defiance. And so you're kind of like getting into these, into these ages where like keeping your kids safe is actually much more challenging. So if you're not up for the challenge, like all of a sudden the kid's safety becomes much riskier. And I like, I wonder how much that's weighed in. It's like the amount of patience you need to have with a two-year-old is endless. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I lose my cool sometimes. And, yes, I'm, exactly. and I have, and I'm financially, like we're not, you know, right. in financial scarcity. And so throw in, yeah, if you have, any you know, arrest- yeah, if you've been arrested, if you've been, mm-hmm. you know, living in scarcity of any kind for any length of time. Yeah. Yeah. The stress is already high and then throw in, yeah, an 18 month old or a two year old or whatever age. Yeah. I, I hope they take it into, I hope courts take into (laughs) consideration, but yeah, again, like you, it's between the County, like I found even here in Kansas, each County runs it so different. Some counties move very fast. Some County attorneys are very involved. Other counties are very slow. They give a lot of leniency. They drag out cases for years. Um, and so it just depends. I, our county is sadly overrun, but on the flip side, it means they move through cases. They, they're they very quick to get a, a child permanency one way or the other. So, Got it. so it's nice because after the, every, I think for us, state laws, permanency must be, is supposed to be sought for within a year. Um, does not always happen. Sometimes there's obviously external um, circumstances that can delay that. But for, uh, it sounds like from our County, it does move fairly quickly. And, um, and which in our cases, I think good, like, especially yeah. Bubba, he's so little. Yeah. <laughs> and so the attachment is so key right now for him. And so luckily we've been able to form an attached scene attachment, um, signs with him, with us. And that's been really encouraging because we didn't know he was, uh, we didn't know if he would had a, attachment at all at that point once we got him he got it and so it was very likely he hadn't formed any attachment up until then and so um so we were very glad we got him when we did um so we had nine months we've had nine months to 
start building that attachment and will continue to. And that will only help him further if he does go back to his parents or to another family member. Right. So throughout these two, uh, like I'll call I'll call them both adoption experiences, but obviously different. Um, Is there anything that you – like anything that was unexpected that you experienced, like that you were just like, oh, I did not know this was going to happen or like like that you would want to draw attention to? Yeah. um, I think for fostering, I think the biggest surprise was how – case by case, it just can vary so significantly, not Mm -hmm. just even within our county and within our state, but within just each case, the agency's level of caseloads is just sadly insane. And the amount of what is required and happens, it's, it's just, it's just nuts. And so, um, I think that has been surprising overall and just being in the foster care process, there's just so many different ways things can plan out and you really just have to have open hands <laughs> as you enter into it yeah for whatever happens um but we uh, we have been very surprised in a good way of how our county and how our agency has handled um our case and so that's been really encouraging yeah and and now you're 22 weeks pregnant with <laughs> yeah. another boy another boy <laughs> Um, did you guys kind of pause as you took in Bubba as well on on the like desire to have another immediately, or were you guys just like, no, we're, we'll keep trying and it will be what it will be? I think at that point we had tried so long with obviously no success that we were mm-hmm. kind of like, well, and we had you know full disclosure, we had done like testing too to see if there was anything health medical reasons and there right. weren't any. And so we're like, well, for us, you know, we believe in God and a higher power. And we're like, it just seems he is, he has deemed when it's not a good timing yet. And right. so we trust that at this point, whenever it does happen, it will be his perfect timing. And so, uh, so yeah, we didn't, we didn't really ever, yeah, take a pause by any means. Definitely was stressful the first few months, especially, you know, having to be hospitalized with a a nine month old for a few days, you know, so definitely puts a kink in your family dynamics Mm -hmm. for, for a while and just learning how to handle twins. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Handle twins all of a sudden. Um, and letting our son get used to having a brother all of a sudden that was, you know, he was nine months. I would pick up Bubba and he just kind of give me this look like, you pick me up. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, like so those definitely couple of months, I can't say like, um, we were super focused, right, right, right. <laughs> but, but it was definitely never something we, we just kind of always like, well, it'll happen when it happens. And, and, it, we did. Were, <laughs> and it did. And we were very, very surprised, but very excited, of course. And so, uh, yeah, so, no, well, congratulations. Yeah, um, I'm excited for you to join the ranks of three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> three young kids. It is. Three under two. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You are going to have your hands full, but in such a wonderful way. Thank you. Um, I, that is all I have. Um, is there anything else that you would, that I like, you think I missed or did we, were we pretty thorough? I think we were pretty thorough. Thorough. I thought, you know, one thing I did think of was like when you get licensed as a foster mm-hmm. care, 
you like we went ahead and jumped in and got licensed as foster parents and we like I said we did respite for a while which is where you just help give other people who are actually fostering breaks you're still technically foster parents by name but you're just babysitting honestly for a a couple from a couple days to a couple weeks it just depends on what that foster parent needs and that's a massive need and and you and then there's also what we had originally said yes to was which is police protective custody um and that's only a few days at most it's three to five days and then after that either the kid the child can go to a long-term foster care placement um or can stay with you if you choose Mm -hmm. like we did to um but there's a lot of different ways you can foster it's not just um Yeah. And there's not just one way. And then and then if somebody I will say if somebody does want to adopt through the foster care system, you don't have to take it a child in from day one like we have. You can jump in once a child. There's some foster parents who only foster and do not want to adopt. And that's just not in their cards for whatever right. reason. And so you can choose to get licensed as a foster parent and then only taking kids who are adoptable. So you can kind of cut out a lot of the unknown that we're sitting through mm-hmm. um, and and jump in. So it's not necessarily you have to sit through this unknown for years. Because uh, if, you, if you do what we're doing where we take a child in from day one to if we ever do adopt Bubba, the, the average is two to three years to adopt out of the foster system. And so, uh, but if you are going in solely to adopt, you can cut those years in half at least and take in when a child is ready to be adopted and uh, have a similar experience to uh, the private adoption where you have just a month or few months notice and um, to take in the kids. Got it. So there's a lot of different ways yeah, you can foster. And so not just the way we're doing it. So I thought I would mention that. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a that's a great point, um, especially for anyone who's interested in, in getting involved in any way to know that there's a lot of different options for them. Absolutely. Well, Amy, thank you so much for giving me your time today. This was super enlightening and I, I like that you know when you were saying you should if you if you want to talk to a social worker I'm like I kind of want to talk about the personal side of it too because that is so much of it so thank you for for being so forthcoming yeah absolutely thanks for asking me this was fun best of luck with the rest of your pregnancy thank you and uh, yeah best of luck to you and (laughs) juggling the the third (laughs) (laughs) thank you okay that's all for today Okay, that's all for today. I really enjoyed my conversation with Amy and was so appreciative of her sharing that knowledge with the Juno Mom community. I hope you found this episode helpful and can utilize Amy's experience if you are considering adoption. If you have any questions, comments, or need some more guidance during your trying to conceive journey, please email me at sarah at juna.co. On the next episode, I'll be doing a solo episode all about the first few weeks of postpartum. There are so many thoughts racing through my head about how I can help first-time mamas navigate this unique period, and I want to get them all out before I forget everything. Yes, mom brain is very real. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.